every day on the big show. What? Gordon and Jake want to keep you up to date on all the action, all the newsmakers, and all the big opinions on the Zone Sports Network. This is What's Going On on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. want to remind you about our friends at RGS Exteriors. They will improve the curb appeal for your house with James Hardy Brickstone and Stucco Exteriors, along with Soffit Fascia and Rain Gutters. Check them out at RGSUtahSighting.com. Gordon, John Wilner does a great job. He writes for the San Jose Mercury, uh, Mercury News. He covers college sports. And he's kind of, since the Pac-12 uh, headquarters are there in San Francisco, Gordon, he's kind of the... He follows the inner workings of the Pac-12 extremely close. Yes, he does. And he does a great he job. Does. Yeah, he does a great job. In fact, uh, the hammer, as PK likes to call him, John Wilner, because I can't remember how PK came up with that, because he always hammers Arizona State or something like that. I don't know. Uh, but he jumped on with Hanson Scotty, and they had a, a great conversation, and we thought we'd get to that today for what's going on. Uh, here things start off with his confidence level on uh, the season. Uh, you know, certainly more positive. Uh, situation is, uh, is certainly changing pretty rapidly uh, and can continue to change over the next few months. You know, I think that this second half of May was a key point because if the kids were going to get uh, back on campus for workouts, they had to make a decision. At the same time, the schools have to decide if they're going to plan on opening in August for, for instruction. So all those things kind of came to a head here, and and things have you know moved forward into basically what's phase one for college football, which is getting them back on campus. Phase two is going to be training camp, and then and then a season. John and the people that I've talked to, there's a growing sense the Pac-12 may rein it in and do conference only. That there is a, a, a real growing concern that they'll be eliminating any out of conference games. Where do you stand on that? And what have you heard? Uh, I think anything is possible. Uh, I think they are hopeful of being able to play their full full 12 uh, with three non-conference games, but they are planning for other scenarios, and certainly conference only is, is one of those scenarios. You know, some kind of regional deal is another scenario where you wouldn't play any anybody from, you know, out of the state or, or east of the Rockies, basically, and you'd replace your non-conference games with, with you know, Mountain West or FCS teams. Uh, they're planning for everything. They're hopeful, but planning for everything, and, and I think that those are decisions that you know aren't going to be made until they absolutely have to be made and that's probably you know at least another month here late late june is kind of our next little benchmark i think there in California, the Cal State system said we're going to go online in the fall. And then, of course, San Diego State and some other schools said, oh, OK, well, it's it's a modified thing, so we can still bring players back. I know that you're kind of in that neck of the woods and it doesn't necessarily pertain to Pac-12, but is San Jose State going to be able to play or is, is Fresno State going to be able to play in the fall? They are certainly hopeful. Right. And and really, the Cal State system and the University of California system are very, very different. Um, I think that some of the uh, football folks at the uh, at the three 
FBS schools within the Cal State system. I think the football folks were a little bit surprised to see that announcement. Um, they are they are still playing on playing, whether whether they're fans or not. I I don't know, but everybody is hopeful, right? And and. We get to late June, and, and we'll have to see where, where training camp stands. A lot of this, uh, whether it's Mountain West or uh, Pac-12, anything, a lot of it depends on the testing. Yeah. The schools have got to be able to have enough tests so they can you know, test the kids twice a week, uh, stay on top of everything, isolate when needed to be uh, isolated. That, that's the whole key. And right now, the athletic directors have, are optimistic that they will have the testing capacity that they're going to need once we get into July. As you've listened to or talked to athletic directors and, and presidents of universities, is, is there one university inside the Pac-12 in California that stands out more than the others as far as being a little combative and, and maybe more worried about being a part of, of return to play? Uh, certainly not combative. I would say it's only natural just given the state restrictions for people to think that the California schools may have the, heart of the tallest climb to get to a season. But, you know, so far, uh, every indication has been positive, right? There's, there, at this point, there's no reason to believe that, that any school is not going to be ready to go. Uh, University of California system president, Jen Napolitano, last week said that all of the UC campuses are going to be open for instruction in the fall. Um, modified version of it but that's you know that's basically what Cal and UCLA need to be able to have athletes on on campus competing is for the the classrooms to be open to to one degree or another you know uh, SC and Stanford have given every indication that they're planning on opening in a modified form so I I, I don't see one school at this point that is uh, you could point to and say well they're they could easily get left behind while the other 11 move forward I I don't think we're at that point. It's great news. John Wilner, kind enough to join us. And and in a situation like this, you hate to look at things like an Excel spreadsheet, but are there just a lot of conversations about we need to bring players back and we need to play football and we need to bring students back because the financial ramifications, if we don't, is something that we just can't really bear at this point? You know, nobody is uh, hiding, whether it's a president or chancellor or a provost or an athletic director, nobody is hiding from the fact that economics are driving this along with the data, right? It's a it's a risk calculation. Your downside risk economically is momentous, right? For athletic departments, football is 80% of their revenue. You know, you have to lay off people, you have to cut sports. For universities, we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars are at stake here with the fall semester or fall quarter. Uh, nobody, nobody's hiding from that. At the same time, they're looking at the data and they're seeing what the, you know, fatality rate, uh, hospitalization rate uh, are for college-age kids, and they're thinking, you know what, if we can, if we can put in enough precautions uh, for the students. And if we can protect our most vulnerable cohorts, meaning the faculty, the coaches, and, you know, officials, all once you get on the field of play, 
then they might be able to work. And there's so much at stake economically that we're going to try. And if we can't do it, we can't do it, but we're going to give it our best shot. And that's kind of where things are, right? Nobody's guaranteeing that they're going to play, but they're going to they're going to plan on playing until there's an obstacle that they simply cannot overcome. John, you've done such a good job over the years kind of describing financial standings for different universities in, in the Pac-12. And Cal is always of the biggest concern in where they stand financially. Even in the hit they took in NCAA tournament distribution and, and, and what you're seeing there, are, are we going to see Cal in any type of um, – financial collapse or or having to cancel sports or or any of those things? Uh, Not at this point. The university is... uh is helping out in terms of covering the athletic department's debt. I mean, Cal is certainly not the only one at this point. That uh, For a while, it was a little bit of an outlier financially, right? And part of that's because Cal's got 30 sports. It's a ridiculous amount of sports for any public institution to sponsor. And, and only two of those are profitable. So uh, they were, you know, their, their model is uh, commendable in terms of providing opportunities for so many athletes, but at the same time, it's kind of an economic risk. But now, I mean, Oregon State, Washington State uh, are facing debt. Uh, I mean, UCLA is in as much trouble as as Cal, if not more. The Bruins are going to finish this fiscal year with about $35 million in accumulated debt from athletics, and then it's going to just get worse next year. So it's not Cal anymore. And... If there is uh, no season or a disrupted disrupted season that that severely impacts revenue, then everybody's going to have problems. John Wilner, kind enough to join us. Uh, one of the best when it comes to uh, covering college football, in particular the Pac-12. Uh, John, when you uh, look at the uh, the hiring at UCLA. Are you a fan of that hire from an athletic director standpoint? Because it sure seems like it's getting a lot of good PR run. Is he a good fit for UCLA? You know, we'll see what, what kind of fit he, he turns out to be. Uh, was it a good hire? To me, I'm not sure that's the question. Uh, I think the question is, what kind of support is yeah. he going to get? Because I think that there's a, a lot of athletic directors that could succeed at UCLA if they get enough support from campus. At the same time, nobody's going to succeed if they don't get any support. And... UCLA's central campus has, has not really cared much about athletics uh, the last decade or so. And, you know, that's that's what it's going to come down to. Are they going to be willing to support their new hire or not? I don't, I don't know that they will, right? I mean, here's a great example. Cal's got, you know, tens of millions of dollars in debt for athletics. Well, the central campus is covering that debt for them. UCLA's got tens of millions of dollars in athletic department debt. Central Campus is issuing a loan at interest for that money. So that tells you that even Cal is willing to provide more support for its athletic department than UCLA is. So if, if things don't change in Westwood, you know, I don't, I don't know that anybody is going to succeed there. A couple of massive games in the Pac-12 to start the season. I, I believe that Oregon-Ohio State is the second game of the season for Oregon. But you've got USC in Arlington, Texas, opening up against Alabama. September 5th is when that date and that game are, are, are supposed to go down. What are the odds that that thing gets played? And what are the odds it gets played on time, John? 
You know, I don't. I am a little bit skeptical. Uh, I think that they're going to play, but I don't know about the non-conference games. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm. You know, I think there's less than a 50-50 chance they're going to get. Each team's going to get all its non-conference games in. Uh, they're hopeful, but. You know, if I were going to put an eye, I don't even know that I could put uh, put an odd on it. I just, I just think that there's a lot of a lot of things have to go right in order for two teams to meet in a neutral site that that quickly, right? It's it's going to be tough. Uh, the question is going to be, can they replay any of these games? Now they could move the season, but they can move everything back. Right. And, and basically instead of everything starting September 5th, it all starts October 5th. Maybe they could do that. And then the season ends up getting bumped, you know, into December or even into January. Uh, they have modeled for a whole lot of different scenarios, but to me, a non-conference neutral site game in the first week is probably like the the riskiest uh, of all possible scenarios. Mm-hmm. What about your non-conference games? Like, for example, let's say Utah State is going to Washington, and I'm sure that payday is over a million dollars. Uh, and I'm sure there's some level of a buyout. And I don't know if Washington can can elicit or can uh, you know drop a force majeure considering we're in the middle of a pandemic and then continue to play games if that'll hold up if Utah State wanted to have any kind of legal recourse on that to get their money uh, are those games an issue as well considering that if you don't have fans in the stands it's tough to pay for that buyout it is um, you know I think that the regional non-conference games probably have a better chance uh, in fact one model that some of the schools have thought about is is kind of overhauling the non-conference schedules and just going with regional games okay. right uh, you know so for the Pac-12 it would be a lot of Mountain West schools and a lot of FCS schools that has been discussed but you know when you get to can- the, the issue of cancellation of non-conference games uh, you know there's there's a lot of components to it, right? Obviously, the health and safety of the players is number one. Uh, economically, sure, you know, you could end up having some schools take other schools to court, but, you know, Utah State's going to want to have a relationship with Pac-12 schools, you know, for the next 10, 20 years, right? And so you start uh, you start filing lawsuits uh, and demanding money and not working something out, and you could end up it can end up hurting you long range. I would have to think that the schools and the conferences will be able to work some stuff out. You know, the bigger issue is going to be like a Washington-Michigan game because if they have to cancel that, how could they reschedule, you know, Michigan's yeah. booked up for years. Washington's booked up for years. Those games, you know, that that's more in jeopardy of never being played, whereas a Washington-Utah State game, you know, they'll they'll find a way to make that up. John Wilner joining us. I know we're talking a lot of college football, but how in the world, if you're Bobby Hurley, can you go to work every day with your athletic director with some of the accusations that are out there right now? Yeah, it's got to be got to be tough, or it was tough. I mean, this all happened six months ago, basically. Yeah. So, you know, at the same time, if you're a basketball coach, you you can easily avoid your AD for long stretches of time, especially if you want to be avoiding each other, right? I yeah. mean, they they don't work in the same office, so uh, Hurley can just go to his office and Ray Anderson goes to his office, and, and they don't really cross paths. Uh, I don't know what the real state of their relationship is right now. I'd have to think that it's 
it may be better, but certainly not uh, fully mended. And it will be interesting to watch, you know, whether this impacts Hurley's decision to stay at ASU over the long haul. And maybe it uh, impacts, you know, Ray Anderson's future at the school as well over the long haul. John, how do you see the name imaging and likeness thing going down? Well, uh, you know, they're supposed to uh, vote on it at the convention in in, uh, January, NCAA convention, and someone said to me, the schools now have about eight months to screw it up. (laughs) So we'll see uh, what form it takes by the time it gets to a vote. Uh, You know, they still haven't really answered the recruiting component. And the NCAA is talking about how it's going to try to establish fair value. So fair value for money from Instagram is X. Fair value for payment for your, you know, your face being on a car dealership billboard would pay you Y. Right? The NCAA is going to try to regulate what fair value is, which is kind of like putting a cap on the the value, which is basically where we've all been all along. So there's a, you know, there's a lot to be worked out, right? They got the framework. Everybody agrees on the framework, but I mean, it is all about the details at this point. I, you know, they're, they are certainly, uh, the, if it's a marathon, they still have the last 6.2 to go here. That was John Wilner of the San Jose uh, Mercury News. And there was so much good material there from John. I'm glad we replayed uh, replayed it back in its entirety. But I actually, Gordon, thought about BYU when he was talking about his doubt of non-conference games being played and maybe some of the solutions. Let's, Let's dig into that a little bit coming up next. All right. Sounds good to me. Obviously, that has a huge impact on what BYU is going to try to get done this fall. No doubt about it. All right, we'll get to it uh, coming up next. It is The Big Show. We'll have a Mountain America market update for you at 3.50. Sam Amick at 4. David Locke at 5 o'clock. And real quick, Gordon, uh, the three of us, we did listen to uh, some portions of Locke's interview with Jerry Sloan from 1995. We decided his his voice is still very much the same, but his his cadence is a little bit different. Yeah, he talked quicker back then. He had, a, he had a little bit, it was a little faster. And for David, that's really something. <laughs> David uh, already uh, sounds like he's taken a few no-dos before jumping on the air. Uh, but he, we're looking uh, forward to talking to David yeah, at five. Yeah, we'll let that speak. All right, uh, stay, stay tuned. More Big Show next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So put your hands together and please welcome. This is Utah's best sports radio. You're listening to The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Presented by Mountain America Credit Union. Guiding you forward on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Show Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So, Austin, just to confirm this, because you've told me this before, Creed Bratton from The Office was actually the Creed Bratton from The Grassroots. That is a thing. Absolutely, yes. And he sings and plays many of their songs throughout the series. Wow. 
Underrated band, the grassroots, I, I would say. What do you think, Gordon? You usually don't like the bands I pick, though. No, it uh, takes me back, uh, back to uh, good times. Did you Did you uh, finally make your way all the way through The Office? Did you? I, I know you were watching it. Did you come to its conclusion, or did no? You... I, I haven't. I haven't. I, I haven't gone through it all. No, I've so just. I've seen some. I feel like I, I can safely say this, but you can stop after Steve Carell leaves the show. You can. You can't. You but can there's, there's still some good after that. It's just not nearly as the, the gem that it was. It's not as good. That's true. I'm not going to say it's bad television, but it wasn't It wasn't good either. I like James well, Spader I mean, a lot. I, who doesn't like James Spader? And Kathy Bates is great. True. Steve is the king of awkward, though. Yeah, I mean, he made that show for sure. Uh, the, no doubt about Why it. Why does right. no one ever talk about the bad hair plug job he got in season one? The, the real person. You can see it in season one. I think He's slicking his hair back. No, you can see it. And you can see the plug job. I think they did that on purpose. You think though. so? Yeah, I do. And then probably as the show got more famous and Steve Carell was more famous, he put a stop to that. Because in the British version, what's-his-name has that, too. Okay, all right, okay. I thought maybe he just really got hair plugs and it was ill-timed because they're like, well, we got to start shooting this show. No, I think I think they did that, that was on, part of the I show. I think they all did right. that on, on gotcha. purpose. Okay. Because isn't that like a, a total Michael Scott thing to do it is get is. hair plugs? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Shave his head first and then get hair plugs. It was actually donkey hair, Yeah, but it, it saved him a buck. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure they did that on okay. purpose. Okay, all right. Yeah. All right, Gordon, let's talk a little bit about uh, 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 college football and what John Wilner had to say in that last segment. We played the whole interview, but one part where, where Hans was asking him if that USC-Alabama game is going to happen, John seemed doubtful, and he said it's less than 50-50 that non-conference games are played, uh, at least as scheduled. And I, I found that a little bit pessimistic for reasons that you and I have talked about. But he did say that maybe one of the solutions would be play regional non-conference games. And if that were the solution that they came to, that would actually be very good for BYU. But if they just buttoned it up and did conference only, that obviously would, would not be good. Um, well, if other conferences followed suit, obviously. And remember, it's important that uh, we keep in mind that John said that anything is possible right. at this point. He did say that. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not sure that I fully get that. Why? What? If you're if you're on a plane and you, and you fly another half hour, or so what difference does it make? I tend to I tend to agree with your your I mean, logic here, Gordon. But I, I think far, what they're saying is limit the travel, limit the risk. Well, but how does it limit the risk? You're on the airplane with everybody who's on the airplane on a charter. What difference does it make? It's 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 closer from L.A. to to um, to the uh, um, the uh, AT&T Stadium where they would play Alabama than it is from Arizona to Seattle. True. Um, another thing I can think of is the advantage to keeping it regional is if you're going to different parts of the country, the risk for uh, COVID-19 is different in different parts of the country. So if you limit it to just one specific region, that's the only region that you really have to manage. I, I'm I'm just spitballing here. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I like I like that solution for BYU. I mean, because then all of a sudden you have uh, a bunch of Pac-12 teams who are looking for non-conference games and... BYU being one of the few options. I mean, they could 
possibly or potentially put together some fairly interesting games. Um, and not to mention some fairly interesting games with the Mountain West teams if they chose to do uh, to do the same thing. That would be certainly a lot better um, for BYU than just closing it up and only doing conference games, which I, I'm with you. We've talked about this a number of times. That I don't know what that solves exactly unless you're trying to limit the window in which you're playing games. But in these scenarios, that doesn't appear to be the case. Yeah, I, 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 it doesn't make much sense to me, uh, but especially with all the rearranging you have to do. But you know, like I said, John said uh, anything is possible at this point. They're considering all different possibilities. One thing that he did mention was the importance of testing, Jake. Right, which and is, uh, if you sorry, go ahead. Did did you see that uh, as they talk about the athletes coming back uh, scheduled out to return uh, at the University of Utah and other places that it's kind of a graduated thing, and uh, bit by bit they're going to bring people back, and that they are going to test all of those athletes when they arrive on campus. So that's. Uh, I think that's really smart to do. The question is, how often can you do it? How often is it necessary to do it? And how often, uh, how many times can you do it with the availability of the test? Well, I think that's that's going to vary from conference to conference and school to school. For example, I'm I'm sure the University of Utah is already uh, well situated to test their athletes, right? With the with the hospital system right there. Uh, I'm sure it will be easier for them than it would be for others. And and if you want to think about it this way, I mean, it, it would be difficult for rural schools, right, that maybe don't have access to the medical equipment and facilities that others do. I mean, at, at Utah, you bring the players back and you can uh, test and uh, send those things to the lab because they're all in the same place. You know, it's probably a lot easier for a school like Utah, I would guess. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't think that's going to be uniform, though. I really don't. Yeah. I don't know if it's possible to make that uniform. It, maybe you can make it uniform in the conference, but I don't see it being uniform across college sports. So it's a question we've asked before, but what happens if you bring these athletes back, they're tested, everybody is uh, negative, and then, okay, now now they're free to train the way they would in groups and to, if you're going to play football, then you're going to, you know, engage in those football activities. But what happens if somebody tests positive after that begins? Then what do you do? You go through the whole process again? What whole process again? You know, testing everybody. and Well, I mean, and Wilner I- brought up the example of test twice a week. Uh, I, I think, you know, we don't I guess we don't know the the accessibility of tests and, and I don't know how much about that we're actually going to know. But, it, you know, the solution to that is you, you pull the the sick person off the line and you figure out how far that spread. But what do you do with anybody else uh, or everybody else? I get the what do you testing. Mean, what, do you, what do you do but with what, everybody what do you, else? Where, well, what happens if you have three people who test positive? You pull them off the line. I, I don't understand the controversy. Well, it, it seems like you would have to test everybody the second that happens. And or shortly it, thereafter. I, but, yeah, I, I would assume that's probably the plan. If You you have to do it uh, ASAP or else you're going to send those guys out and have them, have them go through the, the football activities again. Uh, it's, they just have to keep their eye on it constantly. 
especially in these contact sports where people are in such close proximity as a necessity of the sport they play. Yeah, I don't know what that that threshold is, uh, Gordon. That's a that's a detail. Hopefully, some really smart people are 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 working on uh, because that certainly is a question. In, or you have to be prepared for that scenario, one hundred percent. And and I'm assuming that that's exactly what they're doing. But uh, I would guess if somebody at the UFC event they had a, a fighter and two cornermen test positive, and they just mm-hmm. pulled them off the line and proceeded uh, as planned without those participants. And it seemed to work fairly seamlessly. Now you're only. And then they, did they test everybody who had come in contact with uh, those folks? Uh, I think they tested everybody in the event. I think they tested everybody in the building. Was it everybody every. Uh, okay. Well, all right. Well, the I, event only I, goes on for one day. Right. You know? Right. But, but this is a different scenario where you have people coming back into contact with each other every single day it's or a, nearly it, every day. It's a bigger scale. So that does mm-hmm. make it more difficult. I, I, I'm with you on that. It, it's certainly a bigger scale. But I, I would guess you could manage it pretty closely. And that all de- that all depends on the accessibility of tests and how many times you'd have to test somebody uh, for uh, you know maximum mitigation. But I, I, I would, I don't think they would proceed unless that was uh, at least planned for and approved coach, on some level. If you're a Pac-12 coach and you have three players who are good contributors to your team who get into this situation and then don't feel comfortable and don't want to do it, uh, do you pull their scholarships? Do you, do you, is there a punitive action taken in those cases? Uh, we talked about that from a pro perspective earlier, but what do you do with uh, college students who are athletes? Me, personally? Yeah. Uh, I'd cut them immediately and make sure their dorm room was locked and their stuff was on the lawn. <laughs> okay. All right. That, that's what I would do. But I don't know. Maybe some of these coaches are, are a little bit more kind-hearted than me. Now, that's another scenario that they're going to have to be prepared for, and I, I'm interested to see how they deal with it because I, I think that the, I think both those scenarios you're talking about are going to arise, and I think whether it's a, a NBA team, the NBA league, an NCAA football team, an NCAA tennis team, I think they need to be prepared to handle those situations and have a plan of attack. And I would guess that they're not going to proceed unless they do. What happens if uh, if you have in college football you have a game scheduled you're you're going through your schedule and then five to ten players on any given opponent's team have a test positive uh, does that game get get canceled? I don't think so. I, I don't think so. Not if you're uh, handling monitoring the situation closely enough. I. Uh, I, I would hope that that wouldn't be necessary, and it'll be just like, you know, you had a handful of players sprain their ankle in practice that week and they can't go. Uh, that'd be tough to what if you, what if you lose like six starters on defense and five starters on offense, including your quarterback? I mean, I, you could have the option to forfeit, I suppose, but I, I think you play. If it's a conference game, it's particularly difficult because you can't. If you're going to cancel conference games, now now the the number gets uneven, and then how are you going to work that all out at the end of the season? It's uh, yeah, but, I'm just but, 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 I'm just throwing scenarios out there. I know that could I hear complicated, you. and that's what Bob Bowlesby was talking about in the Big Twelve. How 
there's going to be a disruptive nature to these uh, these scenarios, or at least potentially. So. Well, but if you and you and if bozos like you and me are asking these questions, I would guess that people who are actually trying to pull the pull this off are asking these questions. Mm-hmm. At least I yeah. hope so, right? I mean, or am I giving us uh, bozos too little credit? Oh, I don't know. I'm or or would it be we bozos? Yeah, it would be we we bozos. Am I am I giving us too little too little credit? Uh, maybe. Look, these questions are being asked, but are there answers? Are there viable answers to those questions? They're open ended right now, and as John was talking about, that they don't have all the answers right now, and so that's what's we're driving into a into a into a fog. Right, but but. No, you, Nobody you, really knows. But they can't proceed unless they have answers to those two questions you, you put out there. So, yeah. I mean, I, we are at the moment in a fog. But when we get to, uh, how, do you, how do you put it, nut cutting time, uh, they better have those two questions answered. Because, as I said, the, they're going to encounter them. Did you buy Larry Scott's? Uh, I don't buy anything. Larry t- Scott talk says. about about how students being on campus would actually be safer than they would be in their quote unquote normal environments. I uh, I did not hear Larry specifically make that argument. I've heard that argument made before. Um, I don't know if I'm a hundred percent buying into it, but I can see the logic behind it. I I don't know. I mean, people are people, and there's interactions. Uh, I I don't know. I think he was suggesting that they would be closely monitored on campus to perhaps keep their distance and to uh, not not have large crowds in one place without you know masks or whatever. Uh, the way I've but, seen it argued is is putting a ton of low risk people in the same place at the same time means those low mm-hmm. risk people aren't behaving low riskily around <laughs> high risk people, and I can see some logic in that. But then again, you've got to think of staff at universities too that aren't necessarily the youngest. You know, you got to think of professors and coaches and things like that. But I I can see the logic behind that argument. Like I said, I don't know if I'm buying it entirely, but I can I can understand where they're coming from. Getting back to the analogy of driving into a, a fog bank, that that's really what's going on. And so what do you do? You just proceed carefully, right? And you do the best you can to navigate that and to stay on the road. <laughs> but there are going to be times when you might have to stop the car. See, when I encounter fog... Then you got to worry about somebody rear-ending you. When I encounter fog, I, I run into it as fast as I can, leading with my face. <laughs> When was the last time you were in a bad fog? Uh, um, I, I'm not sure, Gordon. I'd have to actually give give that some thought. It's uh, it's scary, it's scary driving through fog. I think fog might be worse than just about any other condition. Hurricane? If you can't, if you can't. <laughs> Sharknado. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it would be a good idea to drive into a hurricane, no. I'd rather have tidal wave. I'd rather have fog than tidal wave. It's true. Good point. Murder hornets. Actually, fog uh, more so than flooding of any sort. Driving through flooding of any sort is quite dangerous, actually. Seems the car will still travel regularly through fog. Yeah, true. And and with flooding, you don't know how deep the the water is. The the car may not travel regularly. So I'd take fog over that. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right. Stay tuned. We've got another Mountain America Fire. Market Update coming up next. Sam Amick <laughs> at the top. drive on through, baby. Top of the 4 o'clock hour. Hit that accelerator. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I'm here to introduce the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about from the guys you know and trust. Go, Tony Turn it up. You're listening to The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Presented by Mountain America Credit Union. Guiding members forward for over 80 years. Yeah, yeah. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Let's get out to the zone phone. It's another. It's time for another Mountain America market update from Mountain America Investment Services. He is our good friend Chad Waddups with us on the big show. Chad, how are you? Good, thank you. How are you guys doing today? Doing just fine, thank you very much. Let's talk about how those markets are doing today. Well, as you guys know, in a, in a non-sports world, winning streaks are hard to find. But we'd actually been on one with the market. It was nice. We had a three-day winning streak up to today. And through most of today, the, the markets were up. But then towards the end of the day, they, they declined. Not too bad. They ended down about a half a percent for the day. But it's been a really strong week. Some of what's driving that, you know, jobless claims seem to show that the worst of the economic impact might be over. And the market's responding positively to that. So what's your tip of the day? Well, you know, there's there's a the tools analogy I'd like to use with with investing, kind of like sports. You've got to know the tools that are available to you. You've got to pick the best tool. If you're a baseball player, you've got to have a great glove. You got to have a good bat, etc. I started running a while back, years ago, and I started running marathons. And I just went out and found at a department store, found a pair of shoes, found some cotton socks, cotton t-shirts, and started running. And then I'm wondering why I've got all these blisters, right? And as I got deeper and deeper into the sport, I found dry fit clothes, I found high-end running shoes, I found much better socks, and the blisters went away. And investing is very much the same. You've got to understand what tools you have available to you. Um, a couple of those tools, I talk to people fairly frequently that say, oh, I'm not invested in the market. These things don't apply to me. And they rec- then I learned that they have a 401k, and so they are, in fact, invested in the market. So first tool, for those that have that benefit through an employer, make sure that you're using the 401k and you're taking full advantage of any match that's provided. That's free money that's it's great to get. If you don't have that option, uh, an IRA is easy to open and use, and it's a great way to invest for your future. You also get some tax benefit from doing that. So find out what those key tools are. Work with an advisor if needed to understand them, and, and they can help you reach your retirement goals. Chad, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much, and keep up that good work. Thanks, guys. Have a great afternoon. You bet. That's our friend Chad Waddups from Mountain America Investment Services, and that is another Mountain America Market Update. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured Mountain America Credit Union deposits and are not NCUA insured. These products are not obligations of the credit union and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by Mountain America or any government agency. The value of the investment may fluctuate. The return on the investment is not guaranteed, and loss of principal is possible. You know, Gordon, most of my investment portfolio is in uh, JCW's gift cards. I wonder why Chad doesn't update those on a daily basis. <laughs> I don't know. It's got to be gaining in value, right? <laughs> I would imagine It's got to so. be improving. You know, I thought it was a solid investment. I mean, the food is so good. Uh, all right, Gordon, we're going to talk to our friend Sam Amick coming up next. Adrian Wojnarowski actually just tweeted out confirming what the um, Bucks owner had said earlier today, that the um, Board of Governors are just going to get the options on Friday and that uh, further discussion will uh, will go on over the weekend. 
Yeah, and uh, they're taking their time trying to get this right, and uh, I hope they do. All right, we'll have more Big Show coming up next. Sam Amick joins us, 97.5 and 1280 of The Zone.